Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. how when you begin preaching, there are stories in your life that you decide you're never going to tell anybody until they're the perfect illustration. Before we get there, before we get there, I want you to know that your addiction is not an accident. Maybe addiction is a strong word, okay? But the things that grip our mind, that continue to captivate our thoughts, draw us away from our goals or the things that we know in good or life, oftentimes are placed in front of us strategically to get you to return to them over and over and over again. So uh, in college, I've never really been the uh, healthiest person. I've always had a uh, tender spot for sweets, okay? And I don't know if you ever had those little bags of mini crullers that you can get like at the gas. Those things are so good, right? And so Lauren... But we were dating. She's from North Carolina. She's five hours away. And there was one time in college where I drove up there. I just drove up there for like a day. I was not going to be there very long. In fact, I think I came back. That's a long time ago. I think it came back the same day. So I'm talking 10 hours in the car to see this girl that I liked. Okay. It worked out in the end. Maybe some crazy decisions. But I'm, I'm on my way up there. Right before you get on 85, there's a quick trip. So I stop at this quick trip for a bathroom break, get gas, all the good stuff. And as you go into quick trip, as you go to the bathrooms, there's all of the sweets right there by the door. And with those sweets are donuts. And with those donuts are those bags of mini crullers, right? So I was like, you know what? It's a road trip. I can get these snack on them. It won't be a big deal, right? I'm less than an hour in and I've consumed the entire bag by myself, right? And not to mention I got a chocolate milk to go with it, okay? So not a great decision, right? But that's not the worst part of the story. See, I make it up there. I hang out with Lauren and then I'm on my way back. Stopped at Quick Trip to use the bathroom. I got another bag of mini crullers and another chocolate milk, and I consumed the whole thing. Two bags in less than 12 hours. Not a good decision. All right. Yes, my stomach hurt. 
Yes, I had low energy despite all of that sugar because it came with a crash. Yes, I regretted the decision. Yes, I knew it was wrong. And I said, I'm never going to tell anybody about this and I won't ever do it again. Okay. Well, here I've told you guys about it. All right. Not a proudest moment, but it's interesting because those donuts are placed there on purpose. Quick Trip knows that people are going to stop to use their bathroom and get gas. And they put those things there as a trigger so that when you're walking, I didn't even want the second bag. I was you know what? I don't want this. I, I was going in to use the bathroom and that was it. I didn't need a snack or anything, but I saw it. <laughs> and when I saw it, I thought about it. <laughs> and when I thought about it, I bought it. See, they large companies know that this is how we work. And they place these things in our path so that we buy them, use them, get hooked on them over and over again. They, they, they put lots of money into studying the brain and how it consumes and grows its desire and commits to buying these things. It's, these companies do the, use this research so that they can get you to return to the candy aisle at the grocery store every week. They do this so that they will get you to buy that bag of donuts every time you go to the gas station. They do this so that every time you have downtime, instead of talking with your neighbor, you pick up your phone and use that app. They do this so that every time you get home after dinner, you cut on the same news channel to watch the same news cycle 24-7 over and over again. It's all this idea to get you addicted to something. And that they, they, everything, not everything, most things are fine in moderation, right? A, a couple of those donuts is not a big deal. Two bags is an awful decision. The problem is we as humans are bad at moderation. We're bad at eating just a few chips. We're bad at, at taking things and using them in moderation because we have this thing in our mind that operates and what people other than me who are smarter than me have called a scarcity mindset. Things could run out, then what do we do? And that might not be at the forefront of our mind, but it drives many decisions. In his book, um, Scarcity Brain, this is a secular book, okay, but the, the author, Michael Easter, he is from Las Vegas. And in Las Vegas, they actually have this fake casino that's funded by the gambling industry and several big tech companies. And you're not allowed in there unless you're like part of the study. They actually study how to get people addicted to gambling, right? And so he dives in this book and he looks at things like the slot machines and, and he also looks at drug addiction and all kinds of other things. But he kind of he, uh, distills it all down into what he calls the scarcity loop right? The scarcity mindset in this loop that goes over and over again. It's opportunity, unpredictable rewards, and quick repeatability. So if you think about this with like a, a slot machine, the opportunity is something to, to add value. So obviously with the slot machine or the lottery or things like that, it's money, right? You could quickly add money. There's an opportunity there to add money. But you think about Netflix or YouTube, the number one money-making decision that Netflix ever made Think about how Netflix started, right? Mailing you DVDs. The number one, all the big changes they've made, the most thing, the thing that made them the most money was the autoplay feature, right? Because there it is. There's this entertainment and there's this quick repeatability. So the opportunity is entertainment or information if you're watching the documentary, things like that. If you think about drugs, there's this moment that the value is comfort, it's escape, it's thrill, it's entertainment. 
But then there's the unpredictable rewards. You don't know how much of a reward you're going to get, when you're going to get that reward, if it's going to be great or little. Think about things like TikTok, right? We, we can scroll from video to video, and you can scroll through thousands of videos, and you don't know that the next one you watch could be the most hilarious, entertaining video you have ever seen that you send to all of your friends. Or or it could be the next life hack that literally changes your life. Like, did you know that like if you're making macaroni, you could put the lid and use that to scrape all of the cheese out of the pack? Learn that on TikTok, okay? Changed my life. Every time I cook macaroni, I do that now, right? That you don't know when that reward is gonna hit, when you're gonna get that entertainment value, when you're gonna get that that life hack that changes your life. You think about it with illegal drugs. This is really interesting. Part of the high that comes from doing illegal drugs is the chase in getting the drugs. When and where will I get it? How much can I get? How pure or laced will it be? What kind of corners do I need to cut in order to get it? All of these things add to the level of high you get when taking the drugs. Heroin addicts are given methadone to come off of heroin so that the withdrawals don't kill them. And many of them, when it comes to getting the methadone, they go to the clinic or wherever they're going, they get it, they know when they're going to get it, they know how much they're going to get, they know where they're going to get it. All of those questions are answered. And even though this is clinically supposed to get them high so they can come off of heroin, it does not get them high because the chase is not involved. They do not have the chase and the unpredictability, so the drug loses its potency. You get it scrolling through Amazon, walking the aisles of Target. When are you going to get that next deal? When are you going to find that item? It's unpredictable rewards that keep us coming back. And then the quick repeatability. Slot machines. When you think about a slot machine, what do you think, right? For me, you pull that lever. Well, guess what? Slot machines... They ain't got a lever. <laughs> it's a button. They got rid of the lever. They realized that by getting rid of the letter, the lever and changing it to a button, that they more than quadrupled their profits because this was more effort than this. <laughs> Quick repeatability, the auto, the autoplay feature from Netflix and YouTube. From think about any any app from TikTok to Tinder. The next life changing experience is simply a thumb swipe away. A bag of chips. I bet you can't eat just one, right? Because you have the whole bag, and it's so easy. Versus a, a bowl of broccoli, right? If you if you were say, okay, you can have 150 calories of broccoli or 150 calories of chips. It gets hard to repeat the broccoli. Because it fills you up faster and it does not taste as good, all right? It just doesn't. But the repeatability of the bag of chips. So these things, it's and, and all of this, the interesting thing with it is that it's all this scarcity loop. It's all driven by this mindset that things could run out. The loop is we have opportunity, we re- sometimes receive rewards, then we immediately can do it all over again. The cycle grabs us because we function from the scarcity mindset. I don't know when it's going to sell out. I don't know when the deal is going to expire. 
I don't have enough money, so I've got to play this, this lottery or the salt machine. I don't have enough energy, so I need to do this drug or drink this drink or whatever it may be. I don't have enough fun. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough status or information. Information is it's interesting. We can. This one got me, okay, because I'm addicted to information. The, the average person today learns more in a 24-hour period than 50 years ago they would learn in a lifetime. And yet we need more information. We don't know enough. I don't have enough peace. Or even, I'm not enough. This loop of addiction, this loop of this thing that captivates our mind, it's driven by this thought process of not enough. Now, where I disagree with Easter it's a weird thing to say from the pulpit. Okay, his name is Michael Easter. Well, I disagree with Michael. Let's call him Michael, all right? Is he has this secular mindset of there's no hope, all right? Our brains are stuck on this scarcity loop. So the way that we become better humans is just by hacking the system, right? Instead of being addicted to drugs, you should be addicted to new experiences. Go to a new restaurant without looking at reviews or the menu before you go. Don't be addicted to TikTok. Be addicted to exercise. Don't be addicted to slot machines. Be addicted to a better career. Don't be addicted to status. Be addicted to family. This feeling of scarcity drives despair and desperation, loneliness, discontentment, lust, greed, and so much more. And his point of view is that you can't break the scarcity loop, so hack it so that you're addicted to good things rather than bad things. But when I look at Scripture... I don't see this better addiction. I see more hope than a healthier addiction. I believe Paul, when he wrote to the Roman church and told them, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that he believed that their mind could truly be transformed by Christ. I believe that when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church to tell them that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, the old is gone and the new is here, that he meant those words. What he said, he said that because he believed that they could truly be a new creation, be transformed, that scarcity did not have to rule their mind. I believe Jesus, when he said that he offers us living water, when we drink of it, we will never thirst again. Sure. Scripture calls us to be a slave of righteousness and a slave of Christ. And this can be and sound like trading an old addiction for a bad addiction for a good one. But this is not trading that addiction. Being a slave to Christ is not being addicted to him in the same way as being addicted to a drug or an app. This is coming to the foot of the table of Christ and partaking in his life and being so satisfied in him that you go back in for more. You go back in again and again and again, not because the substance runs out or because every time you, but because every time you drink of him, you are more deeply satisfied than you ever thought possible. See, with earthly addictions, we build up a tolerance and you need more and it satisfies less. And before long, you're partaking in the substance or whatever it may be just to feel normal. Not so with Christ. 
Every time you go and you partake in the presence of God, every time you experience him, you are fully and more deeply satisfied than ever before. And all you want is more, not because it's running out, but because the experience is so rich and satisfying. With the Savior of the world, each encounter is more rich than the last, never lacking and always satisfying and always leading us to wanting more. It's nothing you can experience in any other way on earth. In Christ, we have the fullness of satisfaction. So yes, I believe Jesus when he says, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Jesus gives us this truth right before our retold story today. Did you guess where we're going? Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, I know what you're thinking. Pastor, that was a really long intro. Buckle up. It's a long mess. No, okay. It's more than the intro, okay? This is what I call a one-pointer. One point for our message today. One point that we see in the feeding of the 5,000. One point that can get us out of that scarcity loop of thinking that not enough. And that is, that point is that Jesus is enough. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle besides Jesus' resurrection and ascension that is found in all four Gospels. So you can imagine it carries some weight with it. Now, each, each author kind of brings in certain details at different points. Some of them go deeper and have more details and longer. Some of them are short and quick. So they all kind of come at it from a different perspective and different points of emphasis. And you can take those things. And, and this, this uh, story is used as illustrations and messages on all kinds of different topics. But they all kind of have this one truth that goes through each telling of Jesus feeding the 5,000, and that is that Jesus is enough. We know the story, right? Jesus is doing ministry. He's having compassion on everyone. He's giving sight to the blind, legs to the lame, hearing and voice to the deaf and the mute. He's teaching and he's loving. He's serving. And as he does, crowds begin to form. They hear that this guy who's the Messiah is healing people and changing lives. So people want to be around it. Jesus actually, he recently sent out the 12 apostles to go two by two into regions and and do their own ministry ministry in the name of Jesus. And now they've returned. So the crowds have like quadrupled. They've doubled and doubled because not only is it Jesus doing the ministry, but now they've sent people out and more people are gathering. So the crowds are getting bigger. They're getting more intense. People have stronger desires to see Jesus and to be healed. And Jesus, every step of the way is having compassion, healing people, serving them, teaching them, And then as you can guess, if you've ever been a part of working hard or doing any kind of labor or ministry of any kind, it wears on you. (laughs) And Jesus and the disciples, they begin to get tired and wore out, so they will separate. They'll go to remote locations, have some time of solitude to reconnect with the Father, to rest and recharge, and the crowds find them. Like right when they think they've got away, the crowd, they see the crowd coming up. They've, got, they've gotten to this remote location. They've gotten a chance to settle down, regain some strength, and the crowd finds them. And Jesus, with his heart, again, doesn't turn the crowd away, but has compassion. Again, teaching, serving, loving the crowd. They've worked days on end, 
And this day has been especially busy. And they look up and they realize they've worked through dinner. They've worked through mealtime. Anybody ever done that? Okay, I've done that. Looked up like, oh, well, there went lunch. I don't know how that happened. I guess I'm living on caffeine today. Sorry. All right. They've worked through mealtime. And the disciples now, they're starving. They're worn out. They're exhausted. And they're like thinking to themselves, man, we got to get out of it. We got to get we got to get some food. we got to come up with a way to stop this. But this Jesus, man, he loves people so much. He won't walk away. We got to, and they, so they go to Jesus. They're like, hey, the people are hungry. We're hungry. It's getting late. How, what do we do? And Jesus, you know, gets the five loaves and the two fishes. He blesses it. He has the disciples organize the people, pass out the food, and it multiplies. Everybody is fed. Everybody it's not just a snack to get them to the next meal. Everybody is full. And then they have leftovers. And this is a sign. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're going to get there, all right? But there's interesting points that all, all the narratives kind of pull in together. And I want to highlight some of those. First is this desolate place, all right? The, the, the gospels refer to it, uh, Matthew says, as evening approached, the disciples came to him, and they said, this is a remote place that's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go into the village and buy themselves some food. Mark puts it like this, when it grew late, you see this time, it grew late, the disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Luke says, late in the day, the 12 approached him and said, send the crowd away so that they can get food in the surrounding villages and countryside to find food and lodging because we are in a desolate place. They all highlight the same things as they're entering into this, telling the story. The place is desolate. It's deserted. It's a desert. They went there to be separated so that there wouldn't be people around. So there's nowhere to stay. There's nowhere to sit comfortably. There's nowhere to to really do uh, life and eat a meal. There's nowhere to get food. The closest Waffle House is like four exits down. Okay, There's no way to, 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 to satisfy the, what the people need. It's a desolate place. The time is drifting away, right? It's late in the evening. It's beginning to get dark. Uh, already late in the day, evening approached. We see that the resources are depleted. Mark and John actually highlight the sarcasm of the disciples. So for those of you that have a sarcastic tone, here you go, right? Mark says, they said to him, what, should we go in and, to, and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give to them to eat? That's not going to be enough, Jesus. We could spend 200 bucks on food and it won't feed this crowd. It's 5,000 men. People who are smarter than me say it's between eight and 10,000 people. Like what, $200? That's not going to do the trick, all right? John actually assigns those words to Philip. It says, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't even be enough for each of them to have a little. Not to mention the fact that they're all exhausted. Their energy is spent. They've been laboring nonstop for hours, maybe even days. Their resources are depleted. The time has drifted. All they have is two two fish and five loaves. All the narratives highlight the scarcity of the situation. What are they going to do? They don't have enough. They don't have enough time. They don't have enough energy. They don't have enough space. They don't have enough. And while all narratives highlight the scarcity of of the situation, they all respond with what Jesus does with that scarcity. Namely, 
He transforms scarcity into abundance. He takes the scarcity of the situation, multiplies the resources, and turns it to abundance. The desolate place, the deserted place we talked about, three of the four Gospels all tell about how Jesus instructed the crowd to sit down because there was plenty of grass. Deserted. Two of, two of the Gospels say desert, that desert is the word. Okay, I don't know if you, not much grass in the desert. There's this picture of being desolate, remote, deserted. Jesus gets involved, and now there is grass for 10,000 people to sit on comfortably. He changes the, the desolateness of the place, if that's even a word. What about the drifting time? I don't know if you've ever had to organize a group of people. It's impossible. Right? Uh, you guys know I work part-time at a bank. We've got one of those like lines where you have the, it's like a fence with the seatbelt. I don't know how to explain it. Right? You can pull the little seatbelt material and you create this snake line for people to get in. Right? We're talking maybe about four people in line. They're all waiting in this snake fence. I don't know what to call it. Okay, And uh, <laughs> they're in there and they're waiting. There's like little yellow feet once you get to where this is to tell people where to stand, like clear instructions. And without a doubt, and walk somebody, maybe on a phone, probably on a phone, and they walk in, they dodge the snake fence, and they come up beside it, and they're like standing there, and we're all looking at them like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> People in line are like, is that person trying to break? They're trying to break. They're trying to cut. No cutsies! No cutsies! <laughs> and people start to get offended, and the person's just standing there, and you're like, bro, get in line. But sir, the line starts over there. Oh, oh the person realizes. Like, and we're talking five people. And we can't get them to follow instructions for where to stand inside a building with yellow footprints and uh, a snake fence, okay? Can you imagine getting 10,000 people to group together in 50s and 100s and sit on patches of grass that's in this desolate place? Impossible. Like, I've been at church conferences, okay, in a church that would hold like 5,000 people, and just getting people from the, the conference area to the lunch area takes 30 minutes, it was already the end of the day, that, but yet they had enough time to organize the people and get them to sit down. Jesus, I think, multiplied more than the food that day. The fact that they had time to organize all these people, even though the time was running out and drifting away, they had plenty of time to get them sat down and get them fed and full and satisfied despite the end of the day approaching. The desolate place transformed. The drifting time transformed. And then of course we know about the depleted resources. We know the drill. They didn't need the 200 denarii. They had the five loaves and the two fish and that was plenty to feed the crowd and all four gospels, all four gospels in the story with the same way. They had 12 baskets left over. I can remember the first time kind of going through and reading this and wondering if like, okay, maybe just a little bite of fish filled somebody up. But this wasn't a little bit filling people up. This was the multiplying of the food. They have 12 baskets left over. Now, if you've uh, read the Old Testament, you you should be taken back to when the the Israelites are in the desert and they've uh, had the exodus from Egypt and they're grumbling because they need food and God provides them with manna and then the manna they have 12 baskets okay so this is a, a, a quick version a quick jump back then what this is doing is it's taking this moment and it's taking Jesus and it's linking him with all of scripture 
It's linking it from the beginning to the end with all of saying that Jesus is this God, the same God that provided in the Old Testament, is providing in the New Testament, and will provide until the end of time. It's taking Jesus, and it's not just taking this as a story and, and the Gospels, but it's applying it over all time. We serve a God who is a God that fills, who is a God that satisfies, who is a God that provides when we need it most. That we do not serve a God of scarcity, but in God's economy, scarcity is turned into abundance. We do not serve a God that will let his people be destroyed. He knows our needs and he provides for our needs. Now, does this mean that we won't struggle? Absolutely not. Sometimes our greatest need is to grow in holiness. And sometimes the only way for God to get into our hearts and allow allow us to grow in holiness is to allow a little bit of struggle in our life. The disciples were struggling. They had worked to their breaking point, hungry, beat up, tired. And it was at this breaking point during the struggle that they not only witnessed the miracle, but actually participated in it. It was by their labor, even though they were ready to throw in the towel and trying to find a way out, they persevered and worked with Christ. And it was through that labor, even though they were spent, that they were able to facilitate Christ's miracle to the people. It was by them carrying the fish and passing it out that it was multiplied. Had they not been involved, had they said, Jesus, no, we're tired, they would have missed out on the multiplying of the food. In God's economy, scarcity is transformed into abundance, and Jesus is enough. Listen, when the energy has run out, is when, and when it's the, the frustration has reached its tipping point, when rock bottom has surpassed and you feel like you're looking up at rock bottom, when nothing makes sense anymore, it's when you are finally at the end of yourself, when Jesus says, you don't need any of that stuff. Here I am, follow me, because Jesus is enough. This means the application from this, if Jesus is enough, it means that we can trust him. He knows what is best for you and is working to bring that about. Romans 8.28 says that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. He knows what is best for you and is working to bring those things about. We serve a sovereign God who is over all. This means that you can have peace. This is a long passage, but I want to read it because it's beautiful. Matthew 6, this is 25 through 34. It says, therefore I tell you, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can anyone by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers in the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his splinter was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith, 
Do not worry. You keep saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly father that knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Look at the birds. Look at the birds. They don't, they don't have a 401k. They're not saving up seeds for later. <laughs> they go day by day and God provides for them again and again and again. Look, this, this convicted me this week because I've been stressed. The, the weather is changing and our girls needed some pants. They needed some clothes. So we had to go buy them some clothes. And it's like, man, this is, you start worrying about finances. And, and God said, what are you worrying about clothes for? Look at the flowers. The weather changes, it gets cold, and they die. But yet they're beautiful. Do you not think I'm going to take care of you? Do you don't think I'm going to take care of your kids? We worry so much, but we serve a God who doesn't operate on scarcity. We serve a God who operates on abundance, and he knows what his people needs, and he cares for them. You can trust him. You can have peace. This means you can be extravagantly generous. If, if God's resources don't run out, that means yours don't run out. Luke 6, 38 says, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. If God's resources never run dry, you don't have to worry about hoarding yours. We can trust him. We can have peace and we can live generously because we serve a God who is enough. Now, this is not the prosperity gospel. And it's easy to fall into that trap when you're seeing this. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's not a story that's telling you, hey, if you had more faith, your money problems would go away. If you had better faith, you know, your loved one wouldn't be sick anymore. If you trust Jesus, everything will work out like you want it to. Those statements aren't true. You can love Jesus, and that doesn't mean that everything is going to work out on this side on this side of eternity. You can have all the faith in the world, and that does not mean that your mom or dad will come home from the hospital. You can be completely faithful to Christ and broke. What this scarcity to abundance transformation is teaching us is that though all else may fail, in Christ, we have all we need. In him, we can be fully satisfied. Jesus is enough. Let me close with this. The gospel of Mark, whenever... Um, he's making a point. You can go and you can read the gospel and there's stories that are out of place. They don't always go chronologically, right? It's like the difference between Twitter and Facebook. You go to Facebook and you're like, oh, what? And it's a post from eight days ago, okay? Mark's stories aren't always in chronological, chronological order. But what they do is they make a point. And I don't remember who coined the phrase. It's not real official, but I like it. It's called a Markian sandwich, okay? So Mark, Mark takes these stories and he creates a sandwich. He kind of has two stories that are similar or take place at a similar time. And he'll take another story that might be out of place and he shoves it in the middle. And that story in the middle kind of drives the point of the whole section. 
right? So earlier in, in Mark 6, before the feeding, you see that Jesus is rejected at Nazareth, right? He's rejected at Nazareth. And then towards the end of that section, you see that John the Baptist is beheaded. And in between those two parts, you've got this, the, the sending out of the 12 disciples. So what we see is that there's rejection, there's a follower beheaded, and in between it, you've got disciples sending out. And it's pointing to the fact that there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to following Jesus. And so we have a similar situation here with the feeding of the 5,000. That's kind of the first piece of bread. The second piece of bread is the feeding of the 4,000. So you've got these two things, and there's some stories that happen in between them. And one of those stories is of a Gentile woman who comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to deliver a demon out of her daughter, right? So she approaches Jesus, and she asks him if he will do that. And this is Jesus' response. Let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs, I have this like sermon series that I want to do called Jesus said what? <laughs> right? Did he just call this woman a dog? <laughs> did he just, he, did, he could have just no would have been good. Like yeah, not now would have been all right. But instead he says, "What well, am I supposed to take the bread that belongs to the children and give it to the dogs?" It sounds offensive, right? Now, we got to remember, this is an ancient text in an ancient time. This actually was not offensive. And the, well, I don't have time to preach a whole sermon here, but, but the gist of it is Jesus is fulfilling Scripture by coming first to the Jews, first to the Israelite people, and then to the rest of the world, right? Abraham was chosen to, to be the blessing in which the, the Messiah would come to save all of the world, all right? So that's kind of the, the overarching narrative. So Jesus is fulfilling that by coming first to the chosen people and then to the Gentiles. Once Jesus dies and raises from the dead, ascends into heaven, you get Paul teaching there's no longer Jew nor Greek, okay? That is done away with. But before we get there, Jesus goes first, to the chosen people, and then to the rest of the world. And so the Gentiles did not believe in the Israelite God. And so they were often, the vernacular used was dogs, okay? And we see by this lady's response that she understands that she's a dog. She understands Jesus' response. She says this, Lord, even the dogs under the table, she's admitting she's a dog, eat the children's crumbs. Like, if you have children and a dog, you know this is true, right? Our dog has gained so much weight because he shares breakfast with our youngest every morning, okay? But the, even the dogs get the crumbs from the children. She's saying, I know I'm a Gentile. I know that you haven't come for us yet. I know that I'm a dog, but even the dogs get the crumbs. She has the faith Listen, she has the faith that even the crumbs of Jesus are enough. Even if she could just get the crumbs of his ministry, she knows it will change her life. This response wasn't a a way to manipulate Jesus. It was a genuine heartfelt faith that even the crumbs of Jesus is enough. And Jesus looks at this woman with the same compassion he's had on the crowds of the Israelite people. He says, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child laying in the bed and the demon was gone. She understood that even the crumbs of Jesus would be enough. Do you? 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says that for the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, not, not with money, 
but in heaven with the heavenly father sitting in the clouds above. Though he was rich and he had all of the luxuries of that, yet for our sake, he became poor. He became human. He dealt with all the limitations that come with being human. He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. When you find yourself stuck in that scarcity loop, searching for satisfaction, searching for entertainment, searching for escape, for pleasure, for peace, whatever it may be, can you take a step back, put the addiction down, and feast on Jesus? Read his word, play some worship music, and sing his praises. Speak to him in prayer, partake in his presence, and let him be the bread of life for you. Let him fill you up. No one comes to him, will, no one who comes to him will ever be hungry. No one who believes in him will ever be thirsty again. Jesus is enough. He takes the desperate situation, he takes the scarcity of the situation, and he multiplies it into abundance so that we can trust him. We can have peace and we can know that he is in control. Will you live like that? Will you live like that, giving him your everything? Because Jesus is enough. Let's pray.